one thing is for sure. The Word of God, it's a beautiful thing. You know why? Because it's beautiful for every situation. We all need to learn how to get along. We certainly do. So, the next subject we arrive at in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, and I think you'll find it very helpful, it's going to be how to stay out of trouble. (laughs) Hey, there's two good lessons, right? How to get along and how to stay out of trouble. We get those two down, I think we'll do okay. So we pick it up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll be in verse 9. Here's what Paul said. Now, as to the love of the brethren, in other words, loving each other, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Think about it. They've got this love thing down pat. But Paul is saying, man, don't settle for where you are. Keep growing. I mean, can you ever show too much love? Well, if we look at God, the answer would be no. So when it comes to us, can you ever show too much love? It would be like, no. And you know, Paul said one time to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. It doesn't. So why not use something that has a guarantee? It never fails. And then he said in verse 11, to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we commanded you. Oh, we're going to have some fun with that verse today. And this is why. So that you will behave properly toward ooh, outsiders and not be in any need. Now, these are great scriptures which teach us how to stay out of trouble. And if you're somebody that gets into trouble a lot, then get into these verses. And they're going to teach you how to stay out of trouble. So let's go back where we began. Verse 9. Now as to the love of the brethren. The brethren are what? Believers in Christ. You have no need for anyone to write to you. Because God taught you how to love one another. And that's right, he did. Through his word. Now, this is one doctrine the believers in Thessalonica understood. That of brotherly love. What's the Greek word for brotherly love? Philadelphia. Brotherly love. Isn't Philadelphia the city of brotherly love? That's what that's what it means anyway. I don't know how much goes on there. The Greek grammar indicates this was their chief end to love one another. This was like the main objective of the Thessalonian Christians. To love one another. That was very important to them. So brotherly love translates Philadelphia, which is a Greek word that outside the New Testament, almost without exception, denoted the mutual love of children of the same father. In other words, kids that have the same father loving each other. So now in the New Testament, it means love of fellow believers in Christ, because we all have the same heavenly father. So Paul is reminding them, they're all brothers and sisters in the family of God. And they understood that Greek word, Philadelphia. 
siblings loving each other. And we are siblings of God. So we are called to, same thing, love each other. Paul mentioned this earlier in 1 Thessalonians 3. He said in verse 6, Now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us. Man, that's enough to make anybody's day, isn't it? Strong faith, strong love, thinking kindly of others. That's the Christian life. So, Paul didn't need to spend much time on this subject. He also noted how sensitive to God they were. For you yourselves are taught by God. You know, when you're taught by God, you know what that means? Your heart is open. You're humble. It's like you can let God impress upon your heart what you need to know. You can. You can't have a heart like the rock of Gibraltar, like that, and expect God to impress upon you. No, it doesn't work like that. You have to have humility. And when you have humility and a knowledge of the Scriptures, God can impress upon you the things you need to know. So, I would say this was a fine congregation. Oh, yeah. They loved Paul, they loved each other, and they loved God. Is your church like that? Probably. I hope so. That's how all churches should be. Love the pastor. Love the believers, one another. And, of course, love God. There you go. Recipe for a good church. And then he said in verse 10, For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, here it comes, to excel still more. Wow. Excel still more. Now, why did he say that? Because the Christian life is not a stagnant life. It's not. You know, when a river is running and moving, it's fresh water. But if it gets dammed up, it stinketh. It's stagnant. And we are on the move. We're on a journey toward Christ likeness, right? Out of our belly shall flow rivers of living water. So we noted in a previous passage, Paul admonished them. He said, as you walk and are pleasing to God, excel still more. He said, in your walk with Christ, in your relationship with God, excel still more. Don't be stagnant in that. And now he wants them to excel excel even more in their love toward one another, even though they're pretty good role models for other churches. It's like, man, keep going. Because you never arrive where you don't have to go higher. Every place in life is not a place that we settle in, but it's a place that we go higher from right? It's not, I gave enough. I served enough. I loved enough. I sacrificed enough. No, it's not that. In your giving, learn to grow in that. In your serving, learn to grow. In your loving, grow. In your sacrificing, grow. Those are not places that we camp out and become stagnant. Those are places that we continue to go higher and higher in our walk with God. We continue to excel 
in our virtues, right? We don't rest on our laurels. We excel in our virtues, okay? That's the way it works, and it's an awesome thing. Now, here it comes. Paul shows us how to stay out of trouble. Want to stay out of trouble? Paul's going to show us. Because you know what happened with the Thessalonians? Thessalonians? They were good people, but they got a little mm, hyper-spiritual. You ever see hyper-spiritual people? Oh, yeah. And here's, here's what happened to them. They believed that the return of Christ to be, to be literally at any moment, like it could come today. So you know what they did? They stopped working. What? They stopped going to work. They figured, why? Jesus is coming back today, man. I'm not going to work anymore. I hate my job. You know, years ago, there was a quaint little town in New Hampshire. Beautiful little town. It was well-maintained, and the people took pride in their properties. Oh, they manicured their lawns. They planted they, oh, planted flower beds. Streets were clean. Beautiful little town. And then one day it was announced that the dam at the top of the town would be released in the future. And the water would come down and flood the town. And everybody had to move. You know what happened? People started neglecting their properties and the town fell into disrepair. Why? Because their future had been taken away. Now it's like, What's the point? Why bother? So, can you imagine what it would be like if we knew the exact moment of the rapture? Oh, how dangerous that would be, wouldn't it? So, now, some people would probably be out urgently sharing their faith. Oh, yeah, thank the Lord for them. Others, they'd be going for all the gusto in life, right? Others, they'd probably be out running up their credit cards. Hey, man, I'm not going to, the rapture's coming tomorrow morning. I'm going to go spend, spend, spend. They'd probably give over to the sin nature. So what happened in Thessalonica? Some people, they just quit working. That's all. They didn't go to work anymore. And that's why Paul said to them in verse 11, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we commanded you. So he's given them a few things to stay out of trouble. Okay? Mind your own business. <laughs> Some Thessalonians, probably because of idleness, were taking undue interest in other people's affairs. You know, when you, when you get nothing to do, you put your nose in places where it doesn't belong. You become a busybody. He said, work with your hands. You know, the Greeks in general thought manual labor to be degrading. Oh, no, that, that's, that's fit for slaves. But Christians took seriously the need for earning their own living. And some of the Thessalonians, perhaps as a result of their belief in the imminent return of Christ, they were neglecting earning their living. And they were starting to rely on others to support them, right? The hyper-spiritual crowd. Hey, I'm too close to God. Why don't you take care of me? 
That happens sometimes. Sometimes people are, are so tight with God, they don't do anything in the natural world. But I'm like, no, man, then you can't be that tight with God. Because God never tells us to neglect our natural responsibilities. Earn a living, provide for our families, do the things that we need to do. You never find that in Scripture regarding followers of Christ. So there are three things mentioned here. Number one, lead a quiet life. Study to be quiet. Like I said, when people have too much time on their hands, they talk too much. They get involved in other things. Hey, let me ask you, how long are some of your phone conversations? How long? Are you one of those that can be on the phone for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours? <laughs> I'm not much of a phone talker myself. I'm like, get to the point and I'm done. Although I have a friend I talk to on the phone once in a while. He just goes on and on. He'll go for 45 minutes. And I'll go, uh-huh. Yep, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And he'll just go, 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 go. I feel like saying, man, hurry up, the rapture's coming. <laughs> but think about think about how long some of your conversations are. Are they really long? I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying think about it. That's all. So Paul is saying, listen, and this is for everybody, lead a quiet life. Don't be a busybody. Number two, he said, attend to your own business. Mind your business. You know what was happening? Because they weren't going to work. People went from house to house, disturbing the peace of others. You know, busybodies ruin it for those that have things to do. Right? There are people that have nothing to do. And they go and visit those that have things to do. And they can kind of inhibit what they have to do. They're busybodies. And that can be very damaging. One person said, gossip needn't be evil. There's a lot of truth that shouldn't be passed around, right? There's truth. You know, did you hear what so-and-so did? It's true, but do we need to pass it around? Do we need to air the dirty laundry of everybody else? Isn't that what the news media does? We don't need the body of Christ to do that. The body of Christ set your affections on things above. Whatever, whatever, whatever is of noble and honorable and a good report, let your mind dwell on those things. See, we're about the positive. Yeah, our job is to spread the good news, the good things about people. So Paul is saying, listen, you guys, here's how you stay out of trouble. Lead a quiet life. Attend to your own business. Work with your hands. In other words, get busy. It's true. I don't know who said it. Idleness is the workshop of the devil. It's true. Nothing good comes from doing nothing. Have you noticed that? Nothing good comes from doing nothing. Today, technology has made life easy for some people, and they find themselves not doing as much as maybe they used to, but that's when you can get into trouble. If you're not busy doing constructive things, and we can all find constructive things to do, then we're out doing destructive things, maybe shopping too much, spending too much money, maybe indulging in alcohol too much, too much time on your hands, 
maybe just out-wasting time that belongs to other people. So let's write that down. Nothing good comes from doing nothing. That's not to say we never rest, we never relax. We always have to have times of that. But that doesn't become our way of life. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 20, in verse 4, the sluggard does not plow after the autumn. So he begs during the harvest and has nothing. What's going on here? See, the lazy guy, he doesn't plow his field. He doesn't turn it over. So the next growing season, he doesn't have much of a harvest. And he's got nothing to show for his farm. See, after the harvest, the farmer goes out there and he replows the field. And a lot of the crops could be vegetables, fruits, berries, wheat. A lot of it is left. And when you plow it, it goes back into the ground and it adds nutrients to the ground. And it feeds the ground. So then when spring comes around and you replow again to plant, the soil has nutrients and you have a great harvest. But the sluggard, he doesn't plow after the autumn. He's like, nah, man, I'm done. So then when the next harvest comes around, he begs. He begs. Lazy people always beg. There's another proverb about the sluggard, Proverbs 22.13. He was talking about idleness. He said, (laughs) I like this one. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I will be killed in the streets. What does that mean? Any excuse will do. I can't go out there. Why? There's a lion. Where is he? I saw him. I don't see him. Oh, he's out there. Watch. I still don't see him. Oh, he's out there. There's a lion in the streets. I'll be killed if I go out there. I'm not going out there. I'm going to stay home. I'm going to watch TV. That's the slugging. Proverbs 26.14 says, As the door turns on its hinges... So does a sluggard on his bed. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. I think it just means back and forth, back and forth. You know, you can sleep too much. If you sleep too much, you kind of wake up tired. You ever notice that? Sometimes, like on a day off or something, and I learned my lesson. I'll stay in bed an extra hour, and then I get up and I'm like more tired. I'm like, why did I do that? I should have just got up at the regular time because that's when my body says, let's go. And you lay around, you fall asleep, and you get more tired again. So I'm like that door on the hinges, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The body knows when it needs to move, and the body knows when it needs to rest. And we have to balance the two. So what's the result of what Paul is saying? Don't be idle. Don't be a busybody. Go to work. What's the result? Verse 12. So that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. See, Paul is also concerned with how people far from God view Christians. He's very concerned with that. Because how they view Christians could determine if they want to go after God. 
And if what they see in God's people they like, chances are they'll go after God. But if what they see in God's people they don't like, they're like, why do I want to do that? Why do I want to be like them? I don't want to be like them. So Paul says, do these things so you can behave properly in outsiders, toward outsiders, and also not be in any need. You won't have any needs when you do the right things. So like I said, two outcomes here. A good testimony toward non-Christians. You will be respected for your diligence. People respect diligent people. I do. I don't like lazy people. I'm not lazy. Sometimes I'm tired, and I'm not lazy. That's one thing I would never say I am. I've got other problems, <laughs> other issues, problem, but not lazy. That's not one of them. So, listen, be diligent. You'll be respected for it. And then the other one, you won't have any needs because you won't be depending on others. That's the key. You learn how to provide for yourself. You'll have need of nothing. Both meanings are true and significant. Christians in need, because of their idleness, are not obedient Christians. Christians in need, because of their idleness, bring a, cast a shadow on who God is as God's people. So we got to be very aware of our testimony. If you can learn to stay out of trouble this way, and what is it? Let me give you what we've seen. Love each other. Let God teach you. Lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work diligently. Have a good testimony to those without. You will certainly renew the passion for Jesus Christ. That's how you renew the passion. That's how you, when you feel yourself slowing down, becoming passive, indifference, ooh, maybe a little carnal, worldly. You know, we need to renew the passion. And when we do the right thing, you know what happens? Life comes back inside of us. It does. Life, the life of God, comes back in. And like Jesus said, out of your innermost being will not be stagnant waters, but will be rivers of life. That's what we need today. The world needs people that have the life of God. You know where the hope of the world? If you take the body of Christ out of the world, there's no hope. Imagine what it's going to be like after the rapture. Oh, man. You don't want to be here. Well, you won't be here if you're a Christian. But if you're not a Christian, get ready. It will be worse than it's ever been. The Great Tribulation is a period of history, seven years, where God said, if you took all the heartache and suffering of all of humanity and wrapped it all up in seven years, it wouldn't compare to the suffering of the seven years of the Great Tribulation. That tells me it's going to be a pretty bad time. A pretty bad time. So when's the time to get my business done with God? Right now. Right now. And if you don't belong to God, today's the day. Acknowledge the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Jesus said, 
No man gets to the Father but through me. He said, you want to get to the Father? That's beautiful. Come through me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. All you got to do is come to Jesus. You lay aside your preconceived notions, you lay aside your opinions, and you come in faith. And I'll tell you what, God receives everyone that comes to him in the name of his Son. He does. No one is cast out. You come in the name of Jesus. Why? Because when he died on the cross, he shed his blood, and he atoned for the sins of the world. And when you acknowledge that and accept that, then that becomes effective for you. And your sins are actually forgiven, but even more than that, God writes your name down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Oh, you have a place in heaven. The Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you. You're sealed with the Spirit. You belong to God. And you have a guarantee, you have a certainty of heaven. And nothing and no one can take that from you. You think about that. Living the rest of your life knowing that you're going to heaven. I'll tell you what. It doesn't get any better than that. Oh, no, it doesn't. Life is tough, but when you know you're going to heaven, ah, you can deal with it. Oh, yes, you can, because life is short. It's a vapor, the Bible says, right? Heaven, eternity, forever. So let's remember these things we talked about today. So important to stay out of trouble. The world's got enough trouble of its own. We don't have to bring trouble upon ourselves. So be diligent. Work hard. Don't be a busybody. Don't be idle. Use the gift of life to make a difference. God made you alive. He gave you a gift. Make a difference. And I'll tell you what, watch the difference that it will make.